We are a sum of our experiences and our relationships. And our guest today, she's a mother of three. She's a wife, a lifelong Arkansan. Her father, former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee, calls her doggone tough. And former President Trump affectionately refers to her as my Sarah. She's been on the campaign trail, front and center in the Brady Press briefing room, the third woman and the very first mom to do so. And Sarah Huckabee Sanders hopes to become the next Arkansas governor. Welcome to This Life's Work with Charles Rutliff and Friends. I'm Dana Schlegenhaft. Now, Charles and I had a chance to sit down with Sarah Huckabee Sanders earlier, and we discussed everything from her childhood in Arkansas to her time in the Trump administration to her current bid for Arkansas governor. Take a listen. Thanks for joining us today, Sarah. I feel like I know you. Matter of fact, I should say it, good to see you again. So it's the <laughs> second time. Pretty dress. Well, Thank yeah, you. Lauren. So I feel like I know you for a couple of reasons. One, I grew up in Hope with your parents. I mentioned to you last time. But I want to talk about that just a minute because I want to talk about Arkansas and uh, especially Southern Arkansas right now. So your mom, knew Janet. I think I mentioned to you. I remember her running around in the basement of the church, barefooted. <laughs> that well, sounds about right. <laughs> we're, I think we we're probably kids' choir or something. You know how that goes. And then, of course, uh, she was a good basketball player. And uh, the way the way I hear it, she was a great basketball player. <laughs> but I, you know, my sister played with her. I'll check on that and let you know. <laughs> and uh, your dad, of course, was a couple years younger than me. Pat's my age. Okay. And by the way, tell them all I had said I absolutely you know, when I you get a chance. That. So, for what I haven't known you, I haven't known you personally, but I really did enjoy this book. Thank you. Now, I, I really enjoyed writing. It was a little bit therapeutic um, to go back and sort of relive some of the big moments, um, both in the White House and, frankly, all of my life leading up to that. And so, um, I wanted to write a book that I would want to read, and so that was what I tried to do. And you did, and I'd recommend it for anybody that would like to get to know you better. But it's an e it's easy because I liked it. I would say that. Uh, by the way, uh, political science degree gets knuckles <laughs> on that. I've, I've got one of those too. So when you're interested in that, it's really it's a good read, and it was it was very Thank interesting. You. So like, here's my question: Out of all that jibber jabber, is uh, you mentioned in the book on more than one occasion, not only Arkansas but growing up in the South. What? Could you expand on that a little bit? On Sure. And, and I think you touched on it a little bit, talking about how a small community like Hope and everything is so interwoven. Well, that's kind of how I see Arkansas. Everyone is connected, and there is such a great sense of community. There's a great sense of pride um, in our state. And, um, you know, I kind of joke a lot of times there's always the six degrees of separation game. I think in Arkansas, you really only have to go about three. And if you have to go too much further than that to find a connection, it may get a, to a place you don't want to go. Um, but that's the thing I love certainly about this state is the sense of community, the closeness. Um, there is a bit of everybody kind of knows everybody, but that makes it personal. Um, and I think there's a lot of heart in this state. And were you born in Hope? I've got that. No, that. I was actually born in Little Rock. My parents were living okay. in Pine Bluff at the time. Okay. Um, and so the first four years of my life were, were in Pine Bluff. I think you wanted to ask her about that Little Rock part. I, I, I do. You experienced witnessing political turmoil at a young young age as your dad became lieutenant governor and then as governor. Um, I, I, watching you over the years, I've always asked myself, well, how does she handle um, dealing with 
you know, being in the Trump administration and all the turmoil there, but you've been around that your whole life. Tell me about that. Yeah, in different, in certainly in different capacities, mm-hmm. experiencing it as a you know thirteen year old is certainly different than <laughs> right. as an adult. But you know, my dad became governor kind of overnight. Sort of mm-hmm. happened uh, pretty abruptly. The mm-hmm. current governor had to resign, and um, you know there was a lot of controversy around him taking office. And so he didn't come in on the easiest or best of circumstances. But he was able to go on and win two full terms and serve a, almost eleven years as. as the governor of the state and um, watching him go through that experience was certainly something very eye-opening, but uh, really remarkable to get to see him um, interact with people from the state. One of the things that was probably the most memorable was hearing people come up to my dad and tell them how grateful they were for things he had done, um, like on Our Kids First, the mm-hmm. the kids' health care program here in the state and how it had changed their lives, how it had saved their kids. I mean, that's really uh, a big thing to hear and take in at such a young age and um, a great exposure to public service and something that awakened me into wanting to be part of that. And, um, you know, I didn't really see myself being the person uh, necessarily running for office, mm-hmm. but helping through that process. Um, but and, but I was, oh, sorry, so, go ahead. so with the Rock Central, I did. With, this could go for a couple hours if you give it, if you had the time, because all these are. That just means I have to do it again. There, oh, That's oh, the beauty. That just we means we'll come back. <laughs> I appreciate that. I brought that down. Then to Washtenaw, which I didn't realize was ranked as like the number two school in the Southern Zone when I looked at that. That's awesome. John Bozeman, you worked with John Bozeman and Tom Cotton, both. And John, known him for 30 years. What a great guy. He is. I always say he's too nice for politics. Yeah. He's just too good for yeah. such a messy business. And he hasn't changed, according to your book. He, he hasn't, and he has such a heart for the people of this state. It's one of the things I love about him. He kind of went to the John Paul Hammerschmidt of, of how to be a public servant, and that was always take care of your constituents. And I think anybody who has ever met him, ever interacted with him, or frankly, his office knows that that is how he approaches his role as the senator from this state. Um, I have such a great deal of respect for him and very proud that I played a tiny part in helping him get there. But what a mentor. I mean, what a way to get started. I mean, you couldn't have written that script any better for you. Jump to the 2008 president. Iowa. I love the Iowa stories. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about somebody in my, my, point of all that is you know how to run a on a shoestring budget <laughs> yeah, I, well, how about the blow up mattresses and uh absolutely you know i like to tease my dad too he may not have won uh the nomination and gone on to become president but he did get a son-in-law and three grandkids out of the deal so <laughs> it wasn't there's some silver lining there uh to that process i met my husband in iowa working um, on a presidential campaign and uh, convinced him to move to Arkansas not too long after the the election ended, um, in large part introducing him to fly fishing and duck hunting and now mountain biking. That lured him in, and he's pretty go. hooked now. How'd you so. get to the Trump campaign then from there? Y- you know, I my dad uh, announced and ran in 2016, right. and I was his campaign manager during that process. Okay. And um, it didn't work out quite like we'd hoped again. And I developed a pretty good relationship with a number of the people on the Trump campaign throughout uh, the 2015 uh, 
year leading up to Mm -hmm. that cycle. And I really felt like he was the person that could beat and defeat Hillary Clinton. And I liked his populist message. I thought he would be a disruptor and change agent in Washington. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was something we desperately needed. Mm -hmm. So I signed on as a senior advisor and my role sort of morphed over the course of the campaign into doing a lot more uh, forward facing and public speaking on behalf of the president. It (laughs) morphed a lot. That's an understatement. You did a hundred press briefings, give or take. Yeah, a little Uh, over a hundred press briefings. You describe being press secretary, and I like this, um, like walking a tightrope daily without a net. We all witnessed it, too. (laughs) Um, I want to just talk about the role of press secretary. And and you also, you know, in your book, you talk about how the president sometimes called you and asked, what do you think, Sarah? So is that a typical um, press secretary relationship, and what do people underestimate about the role of press secretary? You know, I think it varies uh, depending on the president mm-hmm. and the press secretary and what that relationship is like. And, um, you know, I think one of the big misconceptions that people have about the role of press secretaries, the only time they interact with the press is during the briefing. But they actually, almost every reporter in the country, thousands of reporters have your cell phone number, your email, and frankly, direct access to your office in the West Wing. And before you're out of bed in the morning. Absolutely. So you are 24-7 on call, um, engaging in that process. But also, I had a very good relationship with the president. And And one of the things I think that made him so successful as president was that he didn't operate business as usual. He operated very much like he would his business. If he thought you were capable of doing something, um, he didn't care what your title was. He gave you a task and asked you to complete it. And um, he did that a lot. And so certainly um, had a big role and a big job as as being his press secretary, uh, but served and did a lot of um, other things yeah, within okay. that capacity. If I, could, I want to expand on that a little bit because that was by far the biggest learning for me in the book was the, uh, as a matter of fact, one in some country that called you his secretary or <laughs> it, you, that, that, that's probably not far from what a lot of people think is that you don't know a lot, but you went on like 23 international trips, Air I, Force One. I went on every foreign trip that the president took during my two and a half years at the White House there you go. And, and, and didn't just go on the trip as uh, like a, a side person. Right. Um, I had a seat at the table. It was one of the things that the president understood was that it would be impossible for me to effectively do my job if I wasn't part of the process from the very beginning. What was the trip where you're having the family gathering? I apologize for not having all my facts, but we're cramming this into a few minutes. Sure. Family gathering, I think it's Christmas, extended family. Secret oh. trip to Iraq on Christmas Okay, night. you got a call, said, oh, by the way, this sounded like a movie. I was reading that, and I go, wait a minute. Hey, uh, well, I'll see. I can't tell you anything. I won't have my phone, and I'll see you in about a week. Bye. <laughs> Not quite a week. It was. It was a. It was about a forty-eight hour stretch. So Felt we like a week. I bet. It did. You, we literally flew around the world. We're on the ground for a few hours and and, and flew back home. Um, but it was probably one of the most memorable and remarkable experiences of my life. Prince Charles, the Queen of England, who by the way knew you, right? <laughs> that, that's a pretty humbling moment the, oh, too, to have. Yeah, that, that's absolutely. amazing. But, they. Uh, on our next podcast, I want to talk about the North Korea president and the. And Absolutely, there's we'll a get, lot. There's a lot to unpack from uh, that. But meeting. the Premier of China, I mean, the list goes on. That's not what most people think the press secretary does. They most of us don't realize how, and what I've what we've laid out here is how much experience you have, and you lived twenty, like you said, twenty four seven, three sixty five for a couple of years. 
the adrenaline rush had to be. You're raising three kids. We do chaos really well at our house. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just can't imagine. So the last, my last question, mm-hmm. Dana, I'll quit interrupting you. Faith is interwoven all through the book, obviously very important to you, and I wanted to make sure we had time to talk about that briefly. Yeah, I, I think that it's, you know, people always say you should separate that. Well, I, I think if your faith is genuine, then you can't. And frankly, my faith is what propelled me and gave me confidence to do my job day in and day out. And um, without that, I'm not sure I would have made it through some of those most difficult days. But well, knowing like, I, that— the, I'm sorry, I'll interrupt you again. But I like the Comey example, if you'd use that one. Was that the Jesus calling? Was that the I, moment? I did. That, um, and so that was the, the last thing I did before— I went out for every single briefing was I read the um, daily devotional from Sarah Young's Jesus Calling, and it was such a good kind of reset before I went in to to face the lion's den to have kind of that moment of peace and clarity and a refocus point um, before I went into that room and a great reminder of what really matters in this world. And so to have my faith was probably... um, not probably, but was absolutely imperative for me being able to, to do that job um, and, frankly, to do that job effectively. Mm-hmm. Well, we want to be respectful of your time. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much Thank for you. having me. You. you bet. Appreciate it. And that's the end of This Life's Work. Thank you so much to Sarah Huckabee Sanders for joining us for the podcast and send us your thoughts at theratliffgroup.com. We'll see you next time.